So the scripture reading this morning is Acts 8, 26 through 40. And as always at Renew, we invite you to go ahead and look it up in whatever language or translation you prefer if you want to look it up on your phone. Otherwise, you can follow along with me. And I will be reading from the NRSV. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way, rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, where he was passing through the region. He proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Hello? 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 Hi! Am I too loud? Can someone fix that? Okay, great. I am so excited to be here this morning and to uh, give the word. Um, usually I'm just sitting in the pews. Uh, in the comfy seat usually with my wife Jess and Zach is back in the booth. Um, a little bit about me, I've been in vocational ministry for about 24 years. I work with a group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship that works with uh, college students in the university world. Um, I'm Taiwanese American. Uh, my family and I immigrated to the U.S. in the 70s. Uh, and being an immigrant has shaped so much of who I am in my, uh, my narrative. Uh, another part of shape who I am is I grew up in a church. I grew up in an immigrant uh, church. Uh, and that has shaped my idea of who God is, what it means to be family, what hospitality means, and what prayer means. This past month in this community, we have been so blessed to hear so many uh, unique and varied Asian American voices. Uh, and today I get to add my, my voice to that mosaic. I want to start actually by teaching you a word in Taiwanese. So 
This is going to be participatory. Uh, it's actually a phrase, uh, and so you're gonna, you're, we're all going to practice together. It's, now it's, it's tono, so you're going to have to try to listen, uh, right? And where's Steve? You can help me out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right? the, phrase, the word is bin on. Bin on. Repeat that. Bin on. Okay. Bin on. Bin on. Okay. Now turn to your neighbor and say that. That word means peace. Peace. And that's the word I heard growing up every Sunday when I came to church. We would greet each other and say, Benan, right? And that means peace. Peace be with you, right? And I've always, when I was a kid, I was wondering, what are they saying to each other? Because I didn't know what that word meant. I just thought it was some weird thing that everyone said to each other when they saw each other. Uh, but as I, got, and as I asked, I figured out, oh, that means peace. Uh, and as I got older, I started ref reflecting on this practice. Because uh, most of my church aunties and uncles spent their week in jobs that being, over, being incredibly underpaid for work that they were incredibly overqualified to do. Uh, they spent their weeks being mocked and harassed and taken advantage of. And in the 70s, we're not talking about the microaggressions of today. It was blatant things that they endured week after week. Uh, and on Sundays, they would greet each other and say, peace, shalom. As Jesus said, peace I give you, the peace that the world does not understand. Right? No matter how much pain or hate or hurt they experienced, for a couple hours every Sunday, they, were, they experienced peace and safety. What a prophetic thing. What an act of resistance. Right? This, this word was to each other. They would remind each other, uh, peace, the peace that Jesus gives, that this world cannot give. There is so much deep spirituality that we can learn from the immigrant church, the church at the margins, the church at the edge of empire, the church that's not at the center. This morning, we're going to look at a story about two people who are at the edge of empire and that show us what it means to be the church, what it means to follow Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at a crazy passage. We heard the story, right? And it's a story where God commands Philip to get up and go, right? So I just want to give you a little context for this story. Uh, it's in Acts 8, but before that, there's all these things that happened, right? Jesus has died and resurrected. There's Easter, hallelujah, right? And then and he leaves them. He's given this charge. You're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Samaria. What's Jerusalem? Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And then Acts 2, the church is birthed at Pentecost, right? And then and all these things happen, and this little community is formed. This is an incredible community. In Acts 6, the church has its first conflict, its first major conflict. And no surprise, it is a cross-cultural conflict. It is an ethnic conflict. It's an economic and class conflict, right? about how they will proportion resources to different people in the church community. And through the wisdom of the apostles, the believers, they gather seven men, seven folks, uh, all Hellenistic, uh, Hellenist Jews, right? Folks who are culturally, ethnically from outside the Jewish territory, who grew up in other lands, speaking other languages. They are the hyphenated people, right? Like me, Taiwanese-American. They are the folks, uh, like many of us in this room, right? They're the folks that are always being questioned. Are you 
Taiwanese? Or are you American? They get the folks that get the question, where are you from? Where are you really from? But these are the folks that the, that the disciples chose to do this food distribution work and to resolve this conflict. And the two most famous of these seven folks, seven guys, is Stephen and Philip. Right? And they're in charge of distributing food to all the needy widows. And they do a great job at it. And everyone is happy and everyone is fed. Right? Uh, but Stephen can't help but start teaching and preaching. He's supposed to give out food, but he just can't help to teach and preach. And as a result, Stephen gets stoned at the, at the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8. And if you're an immigrant or, or an outsider or a minority, you might know the story. You work twice as hard at any task you're given, and you kill it, and you do that job well. And everyone loves it. Don't start talking. Don't start speaking. Stay in your lane. Do what you've been told. Right? But it's filled. And Stephen, well, Stephen can't help himself. And he starts teaching. Because he's full of the Holy Spirit, right? They lay his hands and the Holy Spirit comes on. He can't help but to preach and to teach. And they get in trouble. And bad things start to happen. And they come and they take him away. Sidebar to the story. You know who it is that rats out Stephen? Other marginal minority folks. Right? Because they don't like the amount of attention that Stephen is bringing to their community. They don't, like, they don't want the spotlight on their community. They want to be upstanding parts of the Jewish community. They want to be the model minority. Right? But this heat comes, and Stephen is dragged out and executed, and the church is scattered. And, there's, and then Philip comes on the scene. We hear about Philip. And Philip is scattered, and he goes, and he goes to Samaria, of all places. He ends up in Samaria, and he starts his ministry. He can't help but preach and teach, and he starts his ministry with Samaritans, and it explodes, and it's amazing. And he does this amazing work, and all these people are coming to faith, so much so that they have to send the, the, the apostles over to check it out, make sure it's all legit, right? Uh, he's doing this cutting-edge ministry, and he's doing what Jesus told the woman, at, the Samaritan at the well, Right, the woman at the well. The day is coming, is now here, when you will worship in spirit and truth. Right? And this ministry is huge, and they're all coming. If, if Philip was in this day and age, he would have all these followers online. Right? He would be, people would be telling him, you should like, put a TikTok every day about how you do this ministry. Right? You should drop reels and stories and write books and blogs. You should start a church. You should, write, you should make conferences. Right? But God had other plans. God had other plans for Philip. And this is where we start, we start our scripture today. Through an angel of God commands Philip, get up and go towards the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem. Can you put up that slide, Z? Uh, it's, a, it's a wilderness road. And what I want you to hear about this, this little section here is that the angel comes to Philip and says this. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not an invitation. It's a command. It's an imperative. Go now immediately. And that may feel all kinds of things for you. Uh, 
I like invitations. I like when people say, hey, you know, I want to invite you to come do this thing, right? I like that. But sometimes the Lord says, go. Get up and go. And it's an imperative, right? Get up and go. Leave your cutting-edge ministry. Leave the place of success and go. Walk away from this community you've built and what you've known. Philip, walk down that wilderness road, that deserted road, the road that leads to the unknown. Right? Wow. First, I just, as I think about this passage, like, would I even recognize an angel if an angel came to me? Would I even know that this is God speaking? Right? And second, would I respond to this command? Would I leave everything where I felt success and competency and go to the unknown? Would I leave the center of action? When I was younger, getting up and go was a lot easier. I mean, physically it was easier, right? I could just get up and go. Nowadays, I have to will my body to do anything, right? I have to tell myself, okay, legs, move over here, right? If I do anything suddenly, I'm out for like a week, right? I just got an MRI on my knee. It's totally busted inside, right? right? So there is this thing about age that makes it harder to get up and go. I wonder if that's true for us also spiritually as we get older. I used to live so radically. I used to be so brave. But now sometimes I just can't be bothered. I mean, if someone is too conservative or too liberal, I just don't have time in my life for that, right? I used to tell college students all the time, the small acts of obedience today will help you do the big acts of obedience in the future. I don't know if that's actually true. <laughs> I actually don't know if that's actually true. Now, don't get me wrong. They should still do the small acts of obedience. But I don't know as I get older, it's any easier. It's, I don't know if it's any easier. Now, I have more experience of God's goodness and coming through for me, but every time, it's the same feeling. I don't know. Should I obey God? Should I do what he asks? The next step is never easier. It's always a risk. Right? Get up and go, Philip. And then there's this next character. Can you put the other slide up? Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of the entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet of Isaiah. Luke gives so much detail about this guy, right? If you know anything about scripture, sometimes it's a little sparse, uh, Right? And so when any scripture author puts a lot of detail, they want you to know something. Right? That's for lots of reasons. It's part of the way they write. Other words, it's just economics. Paper's expensive. Or papyrus is expensive. Scrolls are expensive. You don't waste words. We're not trying to be token here, right? We're not, you know, uh, right? You have to be conservative words. So every word matters. Luke wants us to understand something about this person. Then I think he wants you us to understand that this person is completely different in every possible way than Philip. They are both folks for on the margins, but they are so different. In every category, 
They're so different. This person is an Ethiopian, right? In that world, that is outside of the Roman Empire, right? It is the ends of the earth, right? And, that, and so it's so much di so different than who Philip is. His appearance is completely different than Philip. Right? He's an Ethiopian, right? I, I'm pretty sure he's a dark-skinned man, right? I'm pretty sure he's a black man. And maybe Philip has a little color. He's from the Mediterranean somewhere. But this guy is a dark-skinned African. This person is a eunuch. If you know what that is, you can Google it. Um, at the minimum, this person is a sexual and gender minority. So different. The angel says, go to that person. Go to that person. Because that person is sitting there reading a scroll of Isaiah. How many of you read the scroll of Isaiah? I avoid the scroll of Isaiah anytime I can, I can, right? And he's confused about it. Duh. Have you ever read the scroll of Isaiah? It is so confusing, right? This person. That's who the angel sends, says go to, right? And he's coming back from worshiping in Jerusalem, it says, which I think is completely crazy because most likely he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's this minority in so many different ways. And he went to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. That meant he went all the way there and had to sit in the outer courts far away to worship. He, could, he was permanently excluded from the, the people of God because he's a eunuch, right? There are verses in the Old Testament about that. But even then, he goes to worship this God who doesn't, in some way, make space for him, but he goes, right? He's a royal official. He's a powerful person. He's in charge of the wealth of an entire nation. He's their central banker. He's the Janet Yellen of Ethiopia, right? And Ethiopia is not some little country. It is this powerful nation, right? He, he manages all the money of this incredible nation run by a queen, a long line of queens, actually. Uh, so Philip's last job, he ran a soup kitchen. Not that's a bad job, but it's a little different, right? Um, this guy, this, he has a chariot. He has a chariot, right? He's rolling in this chariot like a incredible, like, I don't know, what's the fanciest car you could think of? A Bentley, an Escalade, a super, super fancy Tesla or some other kind of cool EV type thing, right? He's cruising in style. And not only that, He's not texting and reading. He's being chauffeured. He sits in the back. He has a driver, right? Because he's back there reading the scroll of Isaiah. He, he owns, possesses a scroll? That is so hard. You have to be so wealthy and so connected to have your own scroll of, of, of Scripture, right? This person is so completely different than Philip. And they're both from the margins, but they're, so, they're such unlikely characters to be the main characters of a story, but not in God's story. In God's story of redemption and reconciliation, they are the main characters. And God 
through the Holy Spirit says, go over to that chariot and join it. I love that phrase, join it, because I was like, join it? Like, join a club? What do you mean, join it, right? And so I was looking up, uh, what does that mean, right? And other translations for the word is go and glue yourself to it. Go and uh, be intimately associated with it. Go and cleave yourself to it, right? Go and join it. That's, and again, that's a command. Wow. One, Philip recognizes the angel, hears the command, goes. Two, hears God's voice again, and then does this thing. Just go over to that person who's totally different than you in any possible way and go attach yourself to them. Again, not a suggestion. Not a nice to have. Go do it right now. I don't know if I will do that. Will I be able to attach myself, intimately associate myself with someone like this? Philip goes. I can just imagine the scene. Right? There's a cherry going by, and Philip's like, all right. right. He's like right alongside. And he goes like, hey, what are you reading? You know? Right? And he's like, I'm reading this girl. Say, oh, yeah? I'm sure folks like, hope he slows down, right? So, uh, and has this conversation right alongside. He says, I don't know what this means. I need someone to help me. And he stops and gets Philip in, right? And Philip just goes for it. I imagine Philip could have been like, well, you know, some scholars think this, blah, 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 about Isaiah, right? But he goes for Jesus. It's about Jesus. Let me tell you about this incredible Jesus that Isaiah is prophesying about hundreds of years earlier. Let me tell you the good news of Jesus. He doesn't hold back. He sees an opening, and he goes for it. Wow. Have you ever had an opening like that? Would you go for it? Or would you play it safe? Right? And so he explains who Jesus is. And he's, this guy is so excited. He's like, hey, there's some water. I should get baptized. And they're like, sure, I guess, right? So they pull over and they find this water, right? Uh, and they get baptized. And it just imagine, we just had baptisms last week, right? What a beautiful experience, right? right? Imagine as some of you were coming out of the water and Pastor Dave dunked you in, and all of a sudden you come out and Pastor Dave's gone. <laughs> Boom. And he's been transported to like, I don't know, Bellingham, right? And he's like, well, I guess I'm gone now. I'm just going to start preaching and eating my way all the way up to Vancouver, right? Because that's what, that's what Philip does. He gets transported to this different place, and he keeps preaching, right? And the Ethiopian is in awe. He goes home happy, goes home rejoicing. I used to hate this story. I used to hate this story. About 20 years ago, I was at a new college campus trying to start a ministry, and it was going nowhere. And I remember one day I was sitting in my room and I opened my Bible and I read this passage. And I got to the end and I slammed it closed. I said, God, this never happens. These stupid stories, they don't happen anymore. Right? And I, I was sitting in my room and I heard this voice. Probably the first time I heard this voice, it said, get up and go to the campus. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I, I was a little harsh. It's okay. <laughs> so be a little dramatic, God. Right? Just get up and go to the campus. So I'm like, all right. So I'm like, sure, God, I'll go to campus. I can go every day. 
I'll go talk to people like I do any day, right? So I wander around the campus that afternoon. I'm like, all right, God, here I am again, right? This woman I had met once or twice comes running up to me. Tim, Tim, Tim. I was reading the story in the Bible the other day, and I don't know what it means. Can you tell me what it means? And I was like, what? And I think I was like silent for, I don't know, a minute or two. I didn't know what to say. And then she's like, well, that's cool. And she starts to walk away. And I'm like, no, no, stop, stop, stop. It's about Jesus. I have no idea what the passage is about. But that's why I said, it's about Jesus. <laughs> right? And so, and so we have this conversation. It's amazing. And I'm walking home that day. And, and I hear the Lord say to me, Tim, I still do these things. And I will use you if you're willing. I still do these things. And I'll use you if you're willing. I believe that God is still speaking and telling us to get up and go. I believe it's a command and not a suggestion. Though you have to choose, I still believe that it's not just for young folks 20 years ago. It's not for competent folks. It's not for folks at the center. It's folks at the margin. Get up and go. I think there's probably two reasons I can think of this is really hard the biggest barriers to experience this kind of God activity in our life. I think one is comfort. It's hard to change patterns and leave places of comfort, right? And I think the other thing is competency. I think we all love being competent. We do not like to be put ourselves in places where we feel incompetent. We are addicted to it. Competency and accomplishment. For God, time after time, commands his people to go and risk, to step out into the unknown without a plan, without the skills, without the training, to get up and go. To people who are completely foreign and different, and, feel and you have to feel completely dependent on God, not on your skills, your training, and knowledge. Okay? And go and glue yourself to people who you have nothing in common with. Why? Because that's the gospel. Because that's what God did. He left the comfort of heaven and he glued himself into flesh and lived among us and attached himself, associated himself to a point of death. It is the gospel. I want to be like this for the rest of my life. And it's hard to be a person who gets up and go and hear the voice of God and try to obey. This fall, I felt like I heard the Lord say that again to me. Tim, you need to get up and go. I got this call from this student, this one junior, Brooke, in, in Lewiston, Idaho. She contacts me and says, Tim, I want to start a Bible study. Can you help me? I was like, Lewiston's a far, it's really far. I really don't want to go to Lewiston, Idaho. I, okay. Sure. So I get on the plane. I feel like the Lord's saying, go. You got to go. So I get on the plane, and I, she's like, come and help me at this club fair. I'll be there. You come help me. Fine. Great. I'll come help you. I fly out. I get there. And of course, what happens? She calls me that morning and says, I'm on campus already. She calls me, Tim, I can't make it. I got this assignment, this nursing assignment. I can't get out of it. I can't make it. So you just got to do it yourself. <laughs> so you can show this picture. 
So, so just imagine me, 20-year-old me, standing in the middle of a college club fair, looking really out of place in Lewiston, Idaho. Me at my sad little table with some candy, standing there. God said, get up and go. So I'm there, I'm like, well, okay, sure. I've done this a thousand times. I guess I could do this, I could try to do this, right? right? And who's next to me? I'm on the table right here. On one side is this LGBT resource center, right? Another side is this arts uh, club, no. An arts, like, uh, you know one of the places where you go paint pottery and drink wine? That one of those places, right? And I'm stuck between the two of them, right? And I've met them all morning and chatted with them. These are my neighbors I'm with for the next eight hours, right? Standing out there meeting students, right? And so, uh, so over here, uh, they're talking to students coming by. And, uh, and this woman who stops uh, over here talks to them for a bit at the LGT Resource Center. And the woman walks over to me and says, what do you think about them? You hate them? I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, no. I think it's great. I think there needs to be safe places for folks. I know that a lot of folks who identify that have been hurt or don't feel comfortable in communities I represent. I wish that was different. But, uh, but I'm glad that they're there. They have access to that. And she looks at me like, okay. What do you think about Adam and Eve? Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't think everyone needs an Adam or Eve. What do you think about that? I was like, well, there's a lot of energy. Right? And I was just like, I'm not exactly what you're trying to get at. And I was like, well, yeah, that may be true. But I think God knows that we all need relationships, that we all need community, that it's not good to be alone. So God wants us to be in community. And I just pause. I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, give me your flyer. So she took my flyer to come to the Bible study next week. So... And then, so I'm like, okay, well, all right, so good. And then, and then the woman over here who's working at this arts table, right, comes over and says, I've been watching you all day. What's your deal? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, give me your spiel. What, what, what are you doing? Right? I'm like, well, are you a person of faith? She's like, no. I'm like, okay. Well, I think that people are all on a spiritual journey, and they're in different places. I think part of that starts by finding some people you trust to share their faith experiences with you, the people that you feel safe with. And I think that grows curiosity. And curiosity lets you explore things. And then I think you get to a place where you're open. You realize you want some change in your life. And you might be open to some kind of change or transformation. And then you get to places where you might need to make some decisions and changes of direction in your life. Where do you find yourself today? And she says, well, I guess I'm curious. I'm like, that's great. Jesus loves curious people. 
Let me tell you a story of this curious person named Zacchaeus. He was really curious about who Jesus was. And so he decided to climb this tree and to, to see who Jesus was. Jesus called him out and just gave him all kinds of love and attention and spent all his time with him to fill all his curiosities. Maybe you should try some things. Because then God, Jesus wants to spend time with you and answer your questions. She took a flyer to come by Boston next week. I share those stories not because I'm amazing, mostly because I'm scared. Uh, mostly I end up in situations I have no clue what to do. But I want to be a person who can hear God's voice that says, get up and go. I want to be a person who can join, glue myself, attach myself to whoever God calls me to do. And I don't want my story to be a hindrance to that. I don't want being an immigrant or a middle-aged man uh, hinder that. I actually think it will be a conduit for God's goodness and grace. So as I close today, I want us to practice a little bit. You guys practice speaking Taiwanese, uh, so we've already exercised that a little bit. We're going to practice listening to God. Will that be okay? Uh, we're going to spend, I'm going to ask the worship to come up. Uh, we're going to spend about 30 seconds. And we're going to just ask, God, where might you call me, call me to get up and go this week? To who or to where? Right? And we're just going to be silent for about 30 seconds. Uh, and just ask the Lord, silently.